Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you for giving us your word, and more than that, we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. We ask that right now, today, by the reading of your word, we would come to know ourselves better, come to know you better, and be light carriers into this world. We ask these things by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in your name, amen. So, one of the things that we always say in student ministry is that we exist to be a biblical voice in a sea of non-biblical voices competing for the hearts and minds of our kids. And what we mean when we say that is that every video, every song, every lunch table conversation, every textbook, every other book is preaching a message about life, about love, about environment, about meaning of life, about who God is. No information is neutral. Every bit of information that comes out is leading you somewhere, right? And the vast majority, if not all of those voices, are non-biblical voices. So we in student ministry, unfortunately, we can't make your teenagers' decisions for them, right? We've tried. It didn't work out. We can't make the decisions for them, but we can give them what we think is the best information to navigate this world with. We can be a biblical voice in a sea of non-biblical voices, and that way as they go their way, at least they have that biblical voice to land on. Because that's the, the challenge in the information age, right? The challenge is not to find answers. Finding answers is easy. The challenge is figuring out which answers are actually true. Right? I can, I can get answers. You literally have the, the answers to every question in your pocket. Like, I get to be smart dad a lot because I don't even have to go in my pocket to get answers. I just say, hey, Google. And then I just speak a question out loud. How many cups in a gallon? And the answer just manifests itself from this creation that I pretend isn't listening to all my conversations. Right? How many bones are in the human body, Dad? You know what? One of my teachers told me that one day, but I don't remember. So I just say, hey, Alexa, how many bones? And I am smart dad, right? Finding answers is not the problem. But figuring out the truth in a sea of infinite answers, that's the challenge that we face. And with algorithms and information sources that literally will confirm any bias that I would like them to, I don't have to actually listen to anything that I disagree with anymore. I don't actually ever have to hear a dissenting opinion. I can pick whichever truth I like best, pluck it out from over here, then I can look over here, and from a variety of sources, I can cherry pick evidence that supports the conclusion that I chose from sources that were already built to confirm my bias. And I never have to actually search for truth. Because in a sea of infinite conclusions and answers, truth is whatever I desire it to be, except for the fact that it's not, right? Except for the fact that there is truth and there is falsehood and no amount of answers is going to change that. And we like to think this is kind of a new phenomenon with the internet age, and we like to do the get off my lawn bit where we tell our kids, well, back in our day, we had to use a card catalog. And the, the people, they say, well, back in my day, we had to build the card catalogs because there were no card catalogs. And, you know, it's an infinite rig. It can go on forever. Each generation has it, you know, harder than the last and stuff. So we got that. But, I mean, this is not a new issue. The issue is always, who do I listen to, right? In a sea of voices, 
Who do I listen to? And this was very prevalent in the time of Jesus as well. There were a lot of opinions and a lot of rumors and a lot of controversy surrounding this rabbi from Nazareth. And this is where the apostle John writes 1 John. He's addressing this misinformation. He's gonna come forward and he's going to address a problem that he experienced then and also solve a problem that we experience now. And he's uniquely positioned to do so. Uh, exiled for his faith at the time that he writes this letter, he is probably the last living apostle. The la- uh, apostle, easy for me to say. The last living apostle. He's probably the last of his friends that hasn't been killed for their faith. And so he's kind of sitting there having walked with Jesus, having spoken with Jesus, able to kind of cut through this noise and cut through the rumors and say, hey, here's what this looks like. And I, I would say that's a pretty important question. You get home, you decide you want tomato soup for dinner tonight. You say, hey, Alexa, give me a recipe for tomato soup. She gives you 13,000 of them. You pick the wrong one, dinner's ruined. Eh, you'll eat again. You get the wrong answer to who is Jesus. You get the wrong answer to who he said he was or what he taught. Lives can be ruined. And even deeper than that, eternity can be ruined. I would say there is no greater question facing humanity than who is Jesus, because there's literally no part of the human experience that's left untouched by how you answer that question. How you answer that question affects morality, it affects purpose, it affects what you think happens after death, it affects how you live your life here. So he wants to cut through this and give a solid answer, who is Jesus, and he wants to give us advice some 2,000 years later about the same problem that we face today. So with that in mind, let's start in verse one where John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Seemingly a very calm opening sentence. But this is all guns blazing from the jump. John is basically saying, hey, everybody, guess what we've done? We walked with Jesus. We ate with Jesus. We heard Jesus. You know, there was a bunch of us that followed him around, and every once in a while, he would pull three of us to the side, and he would be more intimate with us, and he would teach us, and he would talk to us more. Hey, I was one of those three. He says, you've heard he turned water into wine. I was there. You've heard he made the blind to see. I watched it. You've heard that he cured lepers and made the lame walk. I was there. He's basically calling everybody out, says, okay, raise your hand if you walked with him. Raise your hand if you talked with him. Raise your hand if you were a first primary resource that is authoritatively able to speak about how Jesus lived his life. Nobody raised their hand? Okay, great, let's continue. He is going guns blazing into this, basically telling everybody, sit down and listen up. He says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, has appeared to us. He says, I walked with him. He was my friend, and my friend was the Messiah. And in first century Palestine, this would have been a bomb. They had spent centuries waiting for the Messiah. This is what their whole preparations were for. We're waiting for our deliverer. God's gonna send us Messiah. Entire books of the Old Testament about how we don't miss the Messiah. And John says, hey, not only did he come, we missed him and we killed him. But that's okay, because the eternal life is here. Our wait is over. There's a big difference between preparing for something and experience something. 
You clean the house before company comes over. Once company is there, you spend time with the company. He's saying everything is about to change because the Messiah is here. He goes on. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. I love that line too. You're going to hear me say that a lot. But I love that line too because I love when people are going to be straight with me. He says, I have information for you, and here is my agenda. I'm telling you this so that you can have fellowship with us. I'm always very wary of people that try to give me information and try to conceal their agenda. I'm always, very, he's just coming right out. He's saying, I have information. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm not going to hide why. I'm giving it to you so that you can have fellowship, so that you can have unity with us. Because if we're going to be unified, we're going to have to agree on some important things. We're going to have to agree on who Jesus is, right? Because when we agree on who Jesus is, we know what our purpose is. When we agree on what our purpose is, we know how we interact with each other. We forgive each other. We love each other. This unity is going to deepen our relationship. And he goes on and says that relationship is made possible because we have fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says we write this to make our joy complete. We want more people in on the secret. We want more people to enjoy the life of the Messiah. Make our joy complete. It gives us no joy for us to see you on the outside looking in. We want you to come in, to be with us, to agree that Jesus is who we say he is. And he continues with a pip, one of the greatest declarations that scripture has to offer. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. He says, I walked with him. I heard him. He's the Messiah. We got it wrong, but it's okay because we can still have unity and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And here is the message that he gave me to give you. He says, God is light and in him there is no darkness. Those three words seem very simple and very calm. But those three words are an epiphany. I could keep you here until every restaurant in Stafford County closes talking to you about those three words. Now, I love you, so I would never do that to you. We're just going to hit a couple of the highlights, and you'll still be able to take your kids trick-or-treating. I'll have you out 4.30, 4.45 at the latest, I promise. <laughs> but God is light. He could have chosen anything there. God is powerful, is he not? God is all-knowing, is he not? God is love, is he not? Could have come with anything here, but he says, hey, I've got a message for you. You guys, listen up. I walk with Jesus. I've got the message. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. And such is the case with really strong, profound truths. A lot of times, they're best understood with very simple concepts. When you walk into a perfectly dark room, a room you're unfamiliar with, perhaps you've never been there before, what is the first thing that you do? You turn on the light. Why you turn on the light? Right, so you can see. It's that simple. You turn on the light so you don't bump into things, so you don't break something, so you don't break yourself. Right? You turn on the light. Why? Because the light erases confusion. Because the light gives perspective. 
The light shows you how to navigate that room. Where you once had doubt about what was in the room, you turn on the light, good, there's no danger here. Why do I know there's no danger here? I see. How can I see? Because we've turned on the light. The light erases confusion. The light gives assurance. Anybody that's ever been camping knows you're going to have to use the restroom at night. It's unavoidable. I hope you brought your flashlight so you can see in the dark, so that you can see where you're going, so that you can see what you're doing. You need the light in order to navigate your life. God is light. And that's not it. He uses light. He says God is light because light is always superior to darkness. Now, don't hear me and think, oh, it's preferable or better. That's not what I mean by superior. I mean light is always superior. Light is undefeated in the face of darkness. Light always, 100% of the time, drives out the darkness. When you turn on the light and it doesn't come on, you don't ever assume, oh man, that darkness just must be so robust that the light can't penetrate it. No, you correctly assume that the light is burned out or the switch is defective or the wiring isn't work. Why do you correctly assume that? Because light is undefeated in the face of darkness. So when I say superior, I don't mean better, I mean superior to the darkness. And my friends, we live in darkness. This is a dark place. Read a headline. And it's a dark place because you and I made it a dark place. This was not the original intention. The pain, the suffering, the heartache, the deceit, the confusion was never part of the original plan. We darkened the world when we walked away from the light. And every one of us has done it. And where there's darkness, there's confusion. And my friends, we live in confusion. Ask 10 people how we got here, you're going to get 10 different answers. Ask 10 people how to explain morality, you're going to get 10 different answers. Pull a cross-section from any part of life, you're going to get confusion on every major topic that binds humanity together. We are a place of confusion. So what's the answer? Turn on the light. Because where there's light, there's no confusion. John continues. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. He answers the question, well, if the light has come, why is there still darkness? Because even though there's the light, we choose to walk in the darkness. We love to walk this fictional third path. John clearly in that sentence says, once he's shown you the truth, you have the option to walk in the truth, or you have the option to pretend like you never saw the truth. You do not have the option, once God shows you the truth, to walk in the darkness and say, yay, I'm still following you, God. You do not have the option to say, I still have fellowship with truth in the Father, even though I am walking in the darkness. We like that, though, because we want to test God. Wait, well, you got some truth over there, God? Okay, that's good. I'm not really ready for that truth, so I'm going to stay here. But I'm still following you, God, when every kindergartner on the playground knows that's not how follow the leader works. You just lost the game. 
He continues and says, but if we walk in the light, as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. He says, look, you saw the light. You turned on the light. There was the couch. There was the coffee table. There's a cat right there. Johnny left his Legos on the ground. If you choose to turn back off the light and go sit on the cat and go step on Johnny's Legos, that's your bad. You chose to walk in the darkness even though the light was there. You could have used the information to avoid the cat. You didn't have to hurt your foot on the Legos, but you choose the darkness, and here's what happens. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that's really weird for us, right? Like, we don't think of blood as purification. In fact, we don't even use that word. When was the last time, unless you're in, like, water treatment, you use the words purification, you come in, hot day, weeding, raking leaves, your kids are outside playing, they come in for dinner, you don't say, now son, go purify yourself. <laughs> you don't do it. It's weird. You say, go wash your hands and come to dinner. Right? You say, clean up. And this is what John is saying. He says, hey, if you walk in the light, Jesus has shown you who he is. If you walk in the light, then his blood, which symbolizes his death, if you walk in the light then his death purifies us. It washes us clean. See, we, in our time, think of sin as this really kind of fun thing that we probably shouldn't do because God says we shouldn't, but it's kind of okay when we do it sometimes because God loves us and will forgive us. First century Jews had a very different idea of what sin did because they had to drag animals to an altar as a result of sin. They knew that sin equaled death. Because they had sinned and walked away from God, they watched year after year animals be slaughtered until Jesus. Because John says right there, no more need for that. Because Jesus' death puts you right with God forever. You brought the darkness, he brings the light. He goes on. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, don't fool yourself. You need a savior. That is the same battle we fight some 2,000 years later. You think, oh, no, everybody knows they've done. No, no. We're not very good judges of when we do things wrong because we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. Well, there's, there's debate right now as to whether there even is right or wrong. There was debate 2,000 years as to whether there is right or wrong. That's not new. And he takes aim at that voice. He takes aim at those ideologies. And he says, if you think you don't need a savior, you are walking in darkness. You need a savior. And it's a great thing that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. There's that word again, right? If we see who Jesus is if we recognize him for who he is, and if we confess that we've done wrong, then he purifies us and we are right with God again. He finishes this small section by saying, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. When the light shines, it shows you who you are. And when the light shines, it will show you that you, having contributed to the darkness of this world, are in need of a savior. It will also show you that Jesus left heaven, came down, walked on this earth, 
ultimately went to a cross where he was killed, where he bled for you and me so that we could know him. He was put in the ground, came back out, therefore forever putting you and I right with God if we will agree that he is who he says he is and admit that we need a savior. He kind of changes gears at the beginning of chapter two. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. He says, man, I hope that I've given you enough of God and that I hope that you've said God is light and that I hope that through all this you would be so motivated by your appreciation and your view of God that you would no longer sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, my hope is that you wouldn't sin. But if you do, it's okay. You've got Jesus as your advocate. His sacrifice was sufficient. You confess your sin, he forgives your sin, you walk in fellowship in the light. He says, you've still got God. But that's not the part I wanna highlight. The part I wanna highlight comes immediately after. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the world. Salvation is a private matter. We need to come to the realization that we have sinned. But the world is a dark place. We need to take that realization and the light into the dark places because it's not just about us. John says, hey, we want more people in here to make our joy complete. See, you might think that you're an accountant or you're a math teacher or you're a PE teacher or you're an insurance salesman, but that's not who you are. You are a bearer of the light who happens to crunch numbers so you have money to eat food. You are someone who teaches math to high schoolers so you can get money to eat food that is primarily a bearer of the light. Your primary mission, your primary function, having been in the light, having had a revelation through the light, is to take that light into the dark corners of the world. Your occupation is merely your mission field. He says, this isn't just for us. He says, uncover that light. Take it wherever you go, because it's not just for us, it's for the sins of the world. He continues in verse three when he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And everybody that hears that goes, oh man, that's a downer. Because I definitely sometimes maybe keep some of his commands, right? And I'll be honest, this is why I like to preach line by line because if I didn't preach line by line, I'm skipping that bad boy. This, this message is a lot easier without that bad boy in it. He keeps going. He says, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. He just called us liars. Because every one of us has broken a command. He continues, he says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And it just gets worse with every step, right? Like that's supposed to be a positive. Anyone obeys his word, true love is made complete. We don't obey his word. So what's that mean for me? And I go through that just to illuminate the problem with taking scripture out of scripture. If you take that out of scripture and just read it on its own, it means something very different than if you read it where it sits and you see that about five verses above that in chapter one, verse nine, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? He knows 
that we're not going to obey his commands perfectly. At the beginning of this chapter, he says, hey, I hope you guys don't sin, but if anyone does sin, you still have Jesus as your advocate. This is in no way saying, if you don't perfectly follow his commands, you don't know Jesus. What it's saying is, if you turn on the light and you see the lay of the land and you see how to navigate it and God shows you his truth and then you turn off the light and try to walk through the room as if you've never seen it, you're not very smart. That's what it's saying. It's saying when you've seen the goodness that is God and when you've seen the protection that is his commands and when you've been affected and fundamentally changed by the Holy Spirit, you're gonna live in that light. That can be a little confusing and this is one of the reasons that I love scripture. Scripture is actually a lot easier than we make it out to be. Oh, if I only knew God's will, if he would only speak to me. No, scripture is a lot easier than we make it out to be. Look at the very next line. He says, this is how we know we are in him. That's fairly straightforward. This is how, great, now we will know. Am I in the light or I'm in the dark? I wanna be in the light, I, I don't wanna be in the dark. This is how I'll know which path I'm on. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And we go, oh man, that makes no sense whatsoever. I, Jesus lived in first century Palestine. Jesus performed miracles. Like Jesus came out of heaven. Like this is gonna be impossible. So I'm supposed to be homeless and ultimately murdered and while I go around just kind of doing nice things for people and telling people about God, is that what my life should look like? Again, use scripture to interpret scripture. When it says whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, it's simply saying that when we live as Jesus did, we live by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus' life is saturated, it's permeated, it's literally covered beginning to end with the power of the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, it says he was conceived by whom? Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us he grew in stature and wisdom, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, who shows up? The Holy Spirit. He performs miracles, Scripture tells us, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in his final moments, in the garden where he's saying, Lord, please take this cup from my hand. Please, you're God. You can do anything you want. There's another way. Please take this from my hand, but not as my will is, but your will be done. The Holy Spirit strengthened him to take those steps. And when he was put in the ground, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. And when he reappeared to his disciples, one of the last things he said to them was, it is better for you that I go away. How could it be better that the Son of God, the light, go away? From his mouth, he says, it's better that I go away because when I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit. That's how we'll know if we're in the light. Are we following the leading of the Holy Spirit? You might be sitting there saying, Jason, the Holy Spirit never talks to me. I don't ever hear the Holy Spirit. How am I supposed to live my life by following the Holy Spirit when I never hear him? And that brings us back to our essential problem, right? It's not that he's not talking. It's that he's drowned out by the other sea of voices that we let speak into our lives. My friends, not every voice gets a seat at your table. Not every voice has earned the right to speak into your life. Cut those other voices out 
and you would be surprised how much you already know about the Holy Spirit and what He wants for your life. You ever heard any of the Ten Commandments? Don't lie. That's one of the things He wants for your life. Love God. That's one of the things. You would be shocked to know how much of the Holy Spirit's voice you have already heard that is just simply drowned in all the muck that we continue to listen to. We don't need many voices to give us many answers. We need one voice to give us the truth that is in the light. I don't need a million people to tell me what I'm worth. I've got one. I don't need a million people to tell me what my purpose is. I've got one. And his voice needs to be the loudest. And his voice is the truest. And this is what it means to walk in the light. This is what it means to live like Jesus lived. Our problem is never that the truth is far from us. The problem is that we love voices that tell us what we want to hear. And we allow too many voices other than the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you for being patient where we deviate from your plan. We thank you that your plan was always Jesus. We thank you that our purity does not rest on us, but rather on who you are. And we are thankful that in a sea of nonsense, you will cut through with the truth. I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are people enlightened with the truth from the Holy Spirit. And I ask these things by the power of the Holy Spirit and in your son's name, amen.